The Real Men Connect podcast is brought to you by SoulCon Ministries, helping disciple men in a digital world. To find out more about the SoulCon Challenge, the six-week Special Forces Challenge for Christian men, just go to soulcon.com. We're blessed to have the Basic Solutions Group as one of our ministry partners. The Basic Solutions Group is one of the leading app creators for ministries worldwide. So whether you want to maximize your impact or multiply your ministry's message, then check out the Basic Solutions Group at basicsolutionsgroup.com. And to see what they can do for you, just go to your app store and download our Real Men Connect app for free on any Android, iPhone, or mobile device or tablet. Welcome to Real Men Connect. Are you ready to be the extraordinary man, husband, father, and leader God called and created you to be? Then get ready to receive wisdom and guidance from some of the country's most respected men of faith as you learn everything you need to know to go from good man to great man God's way. No judgment, no shame. Just real men with real challenges seeking real change. All for God's glory. Hello, mighty men of God, and welcome to the Real Men Connect podcast, where we help good men become great men God's way. I'm your host, Dr. Joe Martin, and every week we interview some of the nation's most respected and accomplished men of faith to find out what it really takes to be the kind of husband, father, and spiritual leader God called and created us to be. Each interview session is packed with practical, proven biblical principles you can immediately apply in your relationships, on your job, and in your community. Today, we have with us Mark Shelsky, who is a speaker, a self-proclaimed hobbyist theologian, and the author of The Wisdom of Your Heart, Discovering the God-Given Purpose and the Power of Your Emotions. And Mark has been a pastor for more than 20 years, and he's the teaching elder at Bridge City Community Church in Milwaukee, Oregon, which I heard now is outside of Portland. That's right. That's uh, outside of Portland. Is that correct, Mark? That's right. Yeah. And Mark is also a proud father of two children and a husband. Now, I met Mark through one of my newest friends, Dr. Michelle Watson, who I recently interviewed and her. Hopefully you'll have heard her show by the time you hear Mark's (laughs) interview. And she arranged an email introduction between us. And I immediately started going through Mark's videos and reading his blog articles. And I'm now in the process of finishing his book, The Wisdom of Your Heart, which I highly suggest that you read. But as I was reading, it was obvious to me that there are so many emotions that we deal with as men. You're talking about from fear to pride to guilt, hurt and even grief, just to name a few. But realizing I have less than an hour to interview, Mark, I decided to focus on one particular emotion that most of us as men, we can relate to and we struggle with. And that's the feeling of anger. Yes, we are going there today. So if you've ever battled or been frustrated with anger issues, Mark is going to help us today and he's going to bless us. I know he is. And I'm so thrilled he's joining us because I have a lot of questions for Mark and I'm sure you do too. So with that being said, I want to welcome my guest and new friend, Mark Shelsky, to the Real Men Connect podcast. Hey, Mark, thanks for joining us, brother. Hey, sir. I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for having me. And Mark, it's my pleasure to have you on the show. And I know you're a busy man. And thank you for carving out some time in your schedule to be on the show. And I mentioned to you even before we got on the show that... I needed to apologize even to the men who are listening out there because we've covered a lot of territory with the Real Men Connect podcast, but we never really addressed this topic specifically about anger. And your book isn't about anger. It's about men and their emotions in general. That's why I highly recommend that they read your book. But we're going to focus and dive deep into anger today. But before we get started, Mark, like I always do, I always ask our guests to share with us their favorite Bible verse that gives them inspiration from the word of God. It's sort of like their go to verse, their anchor verse. I can't wait to hear what yours. Being a man who wrote a book about emotions, what's your anchor verse, Mark? 
Well, the verse that has just moved me so deeply in probably the last five or six years as I've gone through the journey that led to this book is Ephesians 2.10. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And the place that I really connected with that verse to begin with was when I was doing some study around the verse in the original language and learned that when it says we're God's handiwork, that 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 word handiwork is the Greek word poema, which is the, the root word that we get poem from. And the, the image that comes up is that we are, uh, we're a piece of art that God has crafted. And uh, God has been a part of our journey, our whole story. And that when God's glory shines through us, it's not, you know, because we look like a perfect Christian. It's because we're living into this beautiful piece of art that God has made us to be. And that, to me, is a very freeing thing to know that God's had his hand in crafting my life. And that when I live fully into who God made me to be, I'm not just a good Christian or a good person. I'm something bigger than that. I'm a, I'm a piece of artwork that's making the world more beautiful. In my own journey, wrestling with my emotions, that's really been the truth, that it's become something that has opened me up to uh, the beauty of life and being something that really brings goodness into the world. And it's, that's something that's just deeply moved me, the idea that that you and me, each of us individually, are God's artwork. Yeah, and that's a credible um, verse because typically, we, you know, when we're talking, that we hear women claiming that you know, the scripture when it says that we are beautifully and wonderfully made, but typically we think physical beauty. But I love the fact that how your take on it is that we are still His masterpiece, and we are beautifully made. It doesn't necessarily have to be always the physical attractiveness, but right. the tapestry and how He's made us beautifully. So I, I love that that Bible reference. Now, Mark, I got to tell you, we're going to jump right into this topic because I told you more than likely I'm not going to get through all the questions that I, want, I have for you today. But I got to tell you, and I'm making a confession right from the beginning that I think the only thing in men's ministry that's tougher than getting men to step outside of their comfort zone is to get them to step out of their comfort zones when it comes to talking about their feelings and their emotions. Mm-hmm. So how and why did you decide to write The Wisdom of the Heart, a book about emotions, and how do you plan to get men in particular to even read it? <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait to hear this. <laughs> well, I, uh, I, didn't start, I didn't start out with a plan to write this book. The content of this book came about because of my own catastrophe. Mm-hmm. I came to a place where I was at the end of my rope and the tools that I had for building my life were not working any longer. You know, I'm a type A, get it done person. I've always felt like that I could learn fast and apply myself to something and I could accomplish it. You know, I've been in ministry, you know, for, you know, I've been a pastor for 20 years. I've been in ministry for longer than that because I'm a PK, grew up in the church, did, you know, I, I was staff at summer camp for years and years. And I've always been somebody that that, that just steps in the gap and helps solve the problem and gets things done. That worked for me for the first half of my life really well. But what I didn't realize, I didn't know that I was really living on credit. I was living, you know, with the gauge in the red line and it was doing damage to my heart and to my relationships. And so then when our kids came into our family, I had this commitment that I'm, that I was going to be a good father and I was going to be a good husband and I was going to be a good pastor. But the way that I had uh, pictured those roles and the the embedded kind of perfectionism and accomplishment orientation that was a part of who I am made it so that it was impossible for me to fulfill the the goals that I that I thought I was trying to live up to and I just I just started failing 
I started dropping balls. I started forgetting things. I started uh, losing track of things. And I didn't realize it at the time, but my sense of value was incredibly dependent upon my ability to perform. Mm-hmm. I had never really come up against this because I'd always been able to perform well. That's just been part of the story of my life. And so when I got to this place where I couldn't actually do it and I started failing, it wasn't just a mistake. It was it was like soul crushing. It was it was attacking my very core sense of value. And I began to kind of scramble and figure out what to do. And and the result of that was that I stepped on the gas even further. And that was damaging to my marriage. It was damaging to my relationships in ministry. And uh, the short version of the longer story is I ended up in a really dark place. I ended up in a place where I was battling depression, where I was, you know, making uh, every week was this really sick routine where I would, you know, work as hard and as fast as I could to get everything ready for the weekend so that everything looked perfect at church and get all the materials out for the leaders and, and work on my sermon. I'd get up at two or three in the morning to finish my sermon and I'd, you know, do a 17 hour day at church to be the best possible pastor that I could be available for everyone performing at the highest level. And then I would get home and I would crash into bed and I would not be a functional human being until Wednesday. And this is all while we have our first child. And then, and then during that season, about 18 months later, our second child. And so my wife is in this position where she's essentially a single mom who's handling our children and trying to take care of me emotionally where I'm in this place that I'm just not able to take care of myself at all. And I just, just kept peddling, just kept living in that, in that cycle. And it was very destructive. And through the, through the support and assistance of some close mentors and friends, uh, I had a mirror held up to me where they, they showed me what, what was happening, what, what my life looked like. And I could see, I could see the direction of the train tracks I was on. I could see the things that I loved going off the cliff. I could see my marriage crumbling. I could see my relationship with my kids down the line being terrible. I could see my ministry failing or my capacity to be in ministry failing. And I didn't want to go there. And there were just no tools in my backpack to help. Like the only tool set I had was work harder and you can't work harder your way out of overworking. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. (laughs) You know? And so I I was, I was just at the end of my rope. I did not know what to do. And so one of my friends was a a therapist and he recommended uh, another therapist for me. And I began the process of going to counseling and the counselor was gentle and kind and told me the truth. And I learned a lot about myself that I, didn't know was true. You know, it's really painful to discover that some of the things you believe about yourself are actually not real. They're not true. (laughs) And through a long process, uh, came to understand about how I had been living disconnected from my emotions and how I had been really not paying attention to the dashboard on the, on my car, the light, the warning lights on the dashboard of my car. And as a result, just like with a car, if you drive your car with the warning light flashing, at some point, you're going to end up on the side of the road with smoke coming out from under your hood. That's just what's going to happen if you don't do the maintenance, if you don't take the time that is necessary to, to keep your car running. And I was not doing that for my heart. And that's what happened. I ended up on the side of the road with smoke coming out from my hood. And it took a it took a long journey to get back to a place where I was functional. And the the book itself grew out of that because I'm still a pastor during this time. And so I got to this place where I realized I was just convicted in my heart that the only credibility I had left with my people was to tell the truth about my story, that I could not stand up in front and preach 
some message that was disconnected from what was really happening in my life. And so I began talking about what I was going through. And I have never in 20 years of preaching, I've never had such an overwhelming response of people begging to hear more, not just about my story, but begging to hear more about this conversation. How do we take care of the inner life? What role do emotions play in our life of faith? Is it okay for a Christian to feel grief or fear or shame or anger? And if we feel it, what do we do with it? These are the things people wanted to hear. And so I began to share that in a couple message, you know, series of sermons. I began to write on it online. And eventually, uh, you know, several years later, now we're holding this book. And and it's my my heart's deepest desire that that the story and the information in this book would keep somebody out of the pit that I found myself in. Right, right. And, and I tell you, in the book, I've started reading the book and it is a necessary piece of work to have out there, even though, like I said, um, we haven't really covered a lot of about emotions here. And I'm starting to get into that now. I'm realizing that we have to address this issue because it's hindering our, our maturity in Christ and growing. And, and I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. But, Mark, I want to back up a little bit. And before we get into some of the specific questions about dealing with anger, and because you mentioned that you're a PK. Yeah. That, and so I realize, and you know this from being in ministry, that none of our struggles and challenges that we face happen in a vacuum. So right. where do you think all this started for you? Because it seems like you had a great home environment and you're growing up in a Christian um, home and you have mm-hmm. great leadership. Why would you be struggling with these emotions if you had a great foundation and you had the parents backing? So tell us a little bit about your story in growing up. Sure. I think that's an I think that's an incredible question because I think that the truth is that the way we experience and engage our life now as adults is really shaped by the story we carry. And that story is the meaning that we've given to the events that have happened in our life over time. And until we understand that and come to face our story, we kind of live in reaction to it. Right. You know, and so and so my story, um, the beginning of my story is that I'm ado- an, I'm an adopted child. I was adopted and my story as an adopted child is wonderful. It's very positive. I never had, you know, some of the things you hear about, you know, adopted kids having all kinds of anxiety or whatever. That was never my experience growing up. But when I became an adult, it began to impact me. Uh, questions of where did I come from and, and who am I and, and all of that. And then there's this there's this little bit of an embedded thing. It wasn't something my parents did, but it's kind of a, in the culture around adoption that Parents who adopt are, are basically saints. They're wonderful people who've opened up the door of their family to this unknown, and you, they brought you in. And there's kind of a cultural expectation that adopted children have to perform. They have to be grateful. They have to be you know good students in order to sort of be – show gratefulness, to show thankfulness for this incredible gift of adoption. Now, my parents never said that. They never implied that. But there was just this unspoken cultural burden about it. And then I'm the first child. And so that carries uh, a certain weight. Um, my family, before they adopted me, they had not been able to have children. This is you know back in the 70s. So there weren't nearly the options that there are today. And so they'd not been able to have children. They tried several times and they'd had some miscarriages. And so then there was also this added burden that I was the I was the answer to prayer. 
mm. right? That they'd been praying for a child and here I was the answer to prayer, you know? And so again, that's a blessing on the one hand, but it can also be a, a burden that you carry to live up to. And so uh, you add those things together. And then I was raised in a very conservative, kind of nearly fundamentalist Christian community where uh, doing the right thing because it's the right thing. And, you know, you you practice your, your good, you know, your good church behaviors and your good Christian practices and you get affirmation from knowing your Bible verses. And later on, as you're older, you get affirmation because you can uh, give the theological answers. And that worked for me. You know, I'm kind of an academic person. I love studying and I could get I could get affirmation through all of this performance. So I was the pastor's kid, which was kind of a special position in the community. I was a good kid. I was getting a lot of affirmation for that. I was able to memorize my verses and all those church things. I was getting lots of affirmation for that. And so all of that came together to wire me up as a person who really, my engine revs around performance. Mm-hmm. If you can give me a goal to accomplish and I can make it happen and look, I can show you the outcome. I just, I just fills my heart. Right. And later on, as we grow and we mature in Christ, we learn that, you know, performance isn't a bad thing. Excellence isn't a bad thing. But when we take our value from it, it's actually displacing the value that God gives us. And so instead of finding our value in Christ, we're finding our value in our performance and that it becomes it becomes sickness. And that that's what happened for me. I was such a high performer. I had such high expectations of myself. And that was necessary for me to feel okay. You know, one of the one of the stories I shared with my therapist as we were unpacking this is I shared that I had this mental image when I thought about my community of of seeing it as a big table and everybody's gathered around the table. And for me to be able to have a seat at the table, I've got to provide value. Mm -hmm. I've got to do something so that everybody else at the table appreciates me and values me. And if I and then I can sit down at the table, I can be a part. But but the dark side of that is if you ever stop creating value, then you lose your seat. And that was the treadmill that I was on. And uh, it wasn't it wasn't something I was even really conscious of until I got to this breaking point. And so for me, emotions were in the way of that because emotions are risky. Emotions are uncertain. Emotions make us feel vulnerable. And if if I'm finding my value in performance, well, you don't if you need me to perform for you, you don't have time for me to sit down and tell you that I'm feeling anxious. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not me performing. And so my emotions were something that got pushed aside. Um, The other part of my story is that my dad, uh, who the one who adopted me, had a a traumatic accident when I was 11 and died. And so that was just that was, you know, my whole life was devastated. We weren't the pastor's family anymore. You know, so then who were we? We, uh, you know, my dad was gone. Uh, You know, he was one of my closest you know, closest friends and uh, obviously a precious relationship as my dad. And so my whole, my whole world was devastated. And so when you add all of those things together, emotion was a very scary place for me. And I only, I really only had one way to express emotion. And that brings us to our conversation today. The only emotion that I was safe to express was anger. I had all of these reasons to be angry and anger didn't feel fearful. It felt strong. Anger didn't feel vulnerable. It felt like the the energy and the power to get things done. And so I, I could express anger. And for 30 years, 35 years, that was the only emotion that I had any tangible connection to. Well, I got to tell you, Mark, my goodness, man, uh, I'm not a good multitasker, but one of the few things I do well is when I'm interviewing guests, I write notes and I don't even know how I do it. I know it's got to be the Holy Spirit, but 
this show wasn't about even being a parent, but I can see how this could bless a lot of dads when it comes to their children. Because I got to tell you what you just shared about that perfect storm happening, being a the child of a, a preacher's kid, being adopted. I never t- got that take on it before of the pressure of performance from a, per- a kid who's being adopted that. Yeah, they did a great thing for you. Now, how are you going to show your gratitude? That blows my mind. I never thought about that. Then the expectations. And then you lose your dad on top of it, where who knows about the pressure you have to feel being the oldest, quote, the mm-hmm. man of the house. That's right. Exactly. That, yeah, you being driven towards performance. And we as dads listening to this, I never even considered any of this stuff of the pressure that children are under based on us doing the right thing. And right. not allowing them to express their emotions. And so, but that wasn't even the show. It's not even about being a parent. <laughs> but this is great insight, which tells me that we need to do a topic on this as well. And so I get it now. And at the same time, all this stuff that you're going through, you know, you think about Romans 8, 28, that all things work together for good is that um, underneath the surface, all this stuff is happening to you in this pressure and you're being, you're bottling it up. But it's now, look how what God has done now has allowed you to write a book sharing this experience and open up a lot of people's eyes to this. So th- there's so much you just shared just in that small segment that is worth exploring, but we don't have time to. <laughs> but I, but I'm, I'm asking that men, when they listen to this episode, to go back and even from a father's perspective, because, you know, um, um, God bless your dad, and he, he was taken from us too soon. But could you imagine what he, what insight he can he can give us from this perspective of being a father who's mm, going yeah. through this process with his child? And and we're going to get back to what you just said about the only emotion that you can express with the anger. I want to cover that. But what I want to ask now is, many times we, we, and I'm talking about we as men, we can be in denial about um, our negative emotions. Um, that yes. hurt us and those and, and how they hurt those around us, because it took you some years until you got into your adulthood to kind of realize that. Yeah. So how can we know if we're a man into now, like, you know, that man who's thinking, oh, my anger is not that bad. It's just if my people around me got a clue and they just did what they were supposed to do. I wouldn't. <laughs> right. Agree. Right. But right. how yeah. can we know if our anger is actually hurting us? Because I know from your perspective, from your book, emotions are a great thing. And we're going to get into that. They're good. Mm-hmm. They come from God. But how can we know if it's actually hurting us and hurting others? What are some of those telltale signs when it comes to anger? Well, it's really difficult because for people who have been in the place where I've been in, where you're disconnected from your emotions to begin with, the clues, the the dashboard light is flashing, but you're not seeing it. It's like you're driving your car, but you've duct taped, you've duct taped the dashboard (laughs) over, you know, and, and you hear some funny grinding sound in your engine and, and you just, you know, you just press the gas and hope it goes away, you know? And so in our lives, the warning signs are often things that we expressly don't want to hear, Mm -hmm. right? The warning signs are people like our wives or close, close friends who feed back to us and, and say things like, well, you know, what are you, are you upset? And then our, our response, my response is I'm not upset. Right. right, right and, right. and that, and that was not a measurement of what was really happening inside of me. That was a statement I had to say, because I'm a good Christian and I'm a pastor and I'm going to be a good husband by gosh. And you know, good husbands don't snap at their wives and I'm not going to do that. And so I had all of these rules inside my mind about how I had to respond. And so I'm not going to say I'm angry because I'm not supposed to be angry, you know? And so I would say other things. I'd say, well, I'm not angry. I'm just frustrated. Right. Mm. Well, that's, well, that's complete garbage, right? (laughs) Frustration. Frustration is just polite anger. That's all that it is. I like that. And so, right. And so, 
or or the other one, you know, well, I'm not angry. I'm just disappointed. Okay. Again, garbage, right? Right. That's a way to, that's a way to backpedal. It's a way to um, change the narrative of what's being talked about so that I don't have to admit the fact that I'm feeling anger because that might be a risk for me. And that was, that was my story, you know? And so for me, the way I began to, to, to learn about it was, was hearing and trusting the input that I got from these other people outside of me. And so my wife, and it started with, with my therapist beginning to talk to me about what she was seeing, what she was experiencing. Uh, I had a, um, one time I had a kid in my church, actually a parent relayed the story to me. I just finished preaching a sermon as the end of the, uh, at the end of the service. And I'm talking to folks in the back and I had a parent say to me kind of as kind of share, like they were sharing a joke, right? Like they were sharing something that was funny. Um, they leaned over and said, they referred to their child, you know, while you were preaching, Johnny, I don't remember the kid's name. Johnny asked me, why is Mark so angry today? And they shared that to me like that was funny. Right. And I just, I, 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 I mean, it wasn't like a hellfire and brimstone kind of sermon, right? I was right. just passionate. And that's exactly what I said. I was like, oh, I'm not, I'm not angry. I'm just passionate. I really care about this a lot. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm really want the point to come across, but that little kid in the, in the, in the pureness of their intuition, they knew something about me that I wasn't even able to admit mm-hmm. that what I called passion, there was passion for sure. But underneath that passion, there was anger and that anger was coming out and that kid experienced it, you know? And so you, you have to start listening when you're getting these messages from people over and over, you know, are, are you being, are you upset or why are you angry or, or even people that distance from you emotionally because angry, anger is scary for a lot of people. Those messages mean something and they require us to, to go deeper. The other place that we find it is in our bodies. And this is another thing that men are terrible at for all of the emphasis we place on our bodies. You know, so many men, we go to the gym, we work out, we exercise, we want to look good. We think we're paying attention to our bodies, but we're not. In our bodies, our emotions speak to us. And for me, anger shows up in a intense feeling of twisting in my gut and a tightness that spreads over my shoulders. Mm. I did not know that's what that was. For years, I thought I was just eating bad food. Right. <laughs> right. I, you know, I had some reason, I had some justification for why I would always feel this thing inside me. And I take Tums, you know, I, I was one of those guys who had a bottle of Tums in my back, you know, in my backpack with me all the time, you know, and I take Tums and I, you know, drink lots of water and I would always have reasons for why I felt this way. I'm just stressed. I'm just stressed. But then what I learned in the course of this emotional recovery process that I've been through is that all of that stuff in my body is the impact of emotion in my body. And if I could stop and be attentive to what is happening within my body, I could begin to notice, oh, hey, that feeling's coming up. I'm feeling that clenching in my gut. What's happening in my world around me that would lead to that? What's happening? You know, am I about to go into a conflict, a conflicty situation? Am I about to have a conversation? Did I do something that I know my wife's going to be unhappy about? Like something has happened, right? And my body's responding to it, and that's telling me something. And so there's these clues all around us that are built into our lives. And many of us, we just don't pay attention to them because our life is full. We've got to get the next thing done. We've got to accomplish. And who has time to stop and sit and journal and think about how you're feeling? Right. Right. Wow, Mark. I tell you, you know, I'm even while you're sharing this information, I'm getting convicted <laughs> myself about looking at my emotions. And, I, and I've mentioned this to people before about when you mentioned about the passion. And I tell people that I pray to God, I say, God, I know I'm a passionate person, but 
let there be some compassion in my pain. Mm, yes, yes. And, and I overlooked that. And I realized what you just said. I had to admit to myself that, Joe, what you're considering passionate is really underlying that is anger. Man, but you shared so much good stuff here about just paying attention to our bodies. Our mm-hmm. bodies has given us clues. And I mean, this is great. I already I'm getting frustrated. That anger part coming out of me now. now Mark. <laughs> I'm thinking, God, there's so many questions I want to ask him. And I said, I can't even go deeper with this one because I got to get to some of the other questions. But because we're talking, this is great stuff because that's the guy who's thinking, well, no, it's not that big. It's, no, it's other people. It's not really me. It's not a problem. Mm-hmm. But let's go to that guy who knows he has a problem. You know, I know that I battle with this myself and I know there's yeah. a lot of men who know. I mean, they tell me all the time, Joe, I don't like this about me yeah. and I don't like that. I snap and I go off on the people I love and I care about. And so let's let's kind of, I guess, deconstruct this thing. Why do so many men, present company included, why do we struggle with anger so much? What I know there's an explanation for it. I want you to share with us the explanation that you share with the groups and people about why we get angry. Sure. Well, a couple of things before we talk about kind of the mechanics of anger. I think there's a couple of reasons that that make anger easy for us as men. Um, I think one of them is that in our culture, Western modern American culture, there's certain kind of parameters of what's seen as acceptable emotionally. Kind of think of it as the the bumper guards on the bowling lane, right? Mm-hmm. And you're allowed to be anywhere in the bowling lane, but you can't you can't go out into the gutters. And so for for men. Uh, men are allowed to be angry. Anger is an emotion of power and influence and authority. And men are allowed to be angry. Men are not allowed to be sad. Right. Right. If you think about a man that you know who's been angry for a long time or a man that you know that's been sad for a long time, we forgive the angry man easier than the sad man because we just think, well, he's a go-getter. He's a mm. he's a get, get it done kind of person. You know, he's picky and really wants things to be done the right way, but he's a great leader. Well, the guy who's sad, we just we just think he's broken. Right, right. <laughs> Right. That's it. He's just like he can't he's got to get it together. Yeah, He's weak. Something's wrong. Right. Yeah, that's right. And so and so women are allowed to be sad, but they're not allowed to be angry. You know, we have names in our culture that we call women that are angry. Right. Inappropriate names. (laughs) Right. But they're allowed to be sad. And so that's those are cultural bumper guards that are wrong. They're destructive. They get in the way of understanding what's really happening inside of us and what God is saying to us. But that's the first thing. It's culturally acceptable for men to be angry. And then we channel into that. We channel into that because anger is the easiest emotion in terms of uh, emotional resources. So when you have emotions, it's it's costly. Like if you've ever had a deep emotional week, you know maybe you lost a loved one and you had a, a couple weeks of deep grief. You're physically tired at the end of that time. You know emotions they cost our body resources to feel emotions intensely. Well, anger is the least emotionally intensive of the negative emotions. So if we if we have uh, guilt coming up, if we've done something and we feel guilty, that's emotionally costly. It's actually easier for us to feel anger than it is to feel guilt. Yeah. Uh, same for same for shame, same for fear. And so it's very common. Like therapists talk about anger as a cover-up emotion or a secondary emotion. Right, right. And, and that's what this is getting at, that when we have fear or shame coming up inside of us, it's easier to feel angry than it is to feel shame. You know, so like culturally right now, you know, here's a controversial topic culturally, you know, that that in our country, there's an untended wound in our country around uh, ethnicity, race, right, that comes from slavery that happened in our country. And for some people, when that conversation comes up, 
it's so painful to actually acknowledge and admit, yes, we did that. That was a horrible thing and we should do something to make it right. It's so painful to experience that, that instead of experiencing that, they feel self-righteous anger. Right, right. And the self-righteous anger is a cover-up because it's easier. It's less costly. It's something that doesn't require me to look at why am I feeling shame or why am I feeling guilt or why am I feeling fear that maybe culture's changing all around me and I don't know what's I don't know what's happening. It's easier to feel anger. And so with those two things, kind of the cultural bumper guards and the fact that it's easier to feel anger than to feel these other heavy emotions, anger becomes a go-to for many of us. Mm-hmm. It's an emotion that moves things it moves things forward, right? Emotion In the book, I talk about how all emotions have two purposes. Uh, The first purpose is to give you a piece of information about your inner landscape or outer circumstances. And the second purpose is to move you to take action. Well, we understand that intuitively about anger, right? When we get angry, we want to get something done. You know, and so it for men who are who are very commonly driven to be achievers, anger becomes useful. It becomes a helpful resource because it gives us that motivational energy to take action. And so when you put all that together, it's no wonder that we struggle with anger. We're, we're wired up for it. Our culture expects it from us. It's easier to feel anger than other things. And so there, that's where we go. And then it becomes an emotional habit. And then we're stuck. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Wow, Mark, I tell you, this is good stuff, man. And I, I've never had to write so fast before <laughs> in my life. This is good. But, you know, because I'm going to bring God into the equation to this, because I think this is a great segue based on what you just shared about uh, where it comes from. All right. And you said that our emotions in general, not just anger, but it's to give us information, to give us feedback and also to get us to take action. And mm-hmm. so whether we like it or not, this emotion of anger, it was God given to us. What right. do you think was his purpose behind giving us this emotion? Was it just to give us information and to get us to take action or did God have a deeper meaning for this? Well, I I think every emotion has those two purposes. But then when you look at a specific emotion, you you start to uncover, well, what's the information that it brings? And so when I talk about this, I explain it this way. I say anger is the emotion that you feel when you, in your own private logic, have been violated. Mm Mm-hmm. All right. So there's a couple there's a couple explanations about that sentence. First off, there's the when you've been violated, it could be you personally or it could be something you love or someone you love. And then that little asterisk of in your own private logic. Right. Something has happened where you perceive that you've been violated or attacked or your will has been obstructed. And the emotional response to that is anger. Anger is telling you, hey, something's in the way. Somebody's threatening us. Somebody's gotten in the way of our will. Somebody's doing something that we don't like. And that anger, it it gives you, it draws your attention to what's happened and it moves you to take action, right? So if somebody is obstructing your will, you want to change that, right? So the common experience we've all had, right? You're driving on the highway and somebody uh, comes over from the, from the on-ramp and they pull over in front of you an inch and a half from your bumper. And just, just spontaneously, this feeling rises up in you. It's kind of an indignation. It's kind of a feeling of disrespect. It's this emotional response of anger because this person just threatened your life. Like they didn't, they may not even know it, but if they pulled in at the wrong moment, you would have plowed into them and you're going at highway speeds. It could have been a disaster. And so you're not even thinking these thoughts, but you have this autonomous reaction of anger because this person violated you. That's your, your perception. And so then 
you have this motive energy now, this energy that's moving you to take action. So what are you going to do, right? Well, some of us, that motive energy makes us want to drive up by those people and tell them through the window what we think about them. Right, right. Right. You know, and that's that's the natural flow of anger. Now, why would God give us that? What, why would, why would, is that doesn't seem that helpful? Mm. Well, here's, here's the angle that I believe, uh, ang- this is how I think God wired up anger. When you think of anger as the emotion that comes up when you or someone you love has been violated, think about that dynamic from a godly perspective. And here's what I mean. Anger becomes the emotion that lets us know when injustice is occurring. Mm-hmm. And if, if you're a godly person, instead of just thinking about yourself, which is kind of the, the, the immature or even sinful angle on anger is that I'm always thinking about how I'm being violated. If you're a godly person, your view of who belongs to you expands. And you're not just thinking about yourself. You're thinking about your family. But you're not just thinking about your family. You're thinking about your neighbor, right? We get all of Jesus' parables about taking care of the neighbor, right? You're not just thinking about your neighbor. You're thinking about the people around you in the world. And so the gospel takes our sense of who is ours, who's on the inside of our little group, and it expands it to include everyone. And so as a godly person, what anger should be doing in your life is it should be giving you a flag when there is a violation of justice, when injustice is being done around you to anyone, you should have that anger rising up in you to let you know, oh, hey, that thing over there, that should not be happening. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I'm going to move, I'm going to move to stand in the way of that. I'm going to go and use my resources to stop that happening. And so maybe for some men, for example, some men have a real passion in their heart around sex trafficking. Right. And I believe that that's an example of anger functioning in a godly way, right? That their heart has been expanded so that those children are included in their sense of us. And when they learn about the fact that these things are happening and they're happening nearby, you know, down at the mall in your own town, that that feeling rises up in your gut and that anger is telling you this is wrong. It's an injustice and I need to be a part of standing against it. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's that's why God gave us the emotion so that we would have a, a, a drive to care for the least of these so that we would have a drive to stand in the gap for people who are being marginalized or hurt or pushed to the side of our culture. Um, That's what the emotion is for. But obviously, like everything, it starts in that center place where we're thinking about ourselves. You know, Mm -hmm. my little children, my nine-year-old mostly gets angry because she personally didn't get her way. You know, and I tell you, this is, this is really good. Because what you're describing is that, you know, because anger, like you said, is not a bad thing. It's a good thing. It's God given. Jesus had righteous anger. But I think that the biggest question, the bigger question here, and I know that the men are thinking of this, especially those who are struggling with it and are really having a battle with it, is, okay, Mark, what you're saying makes perfect sense. Um, This emotion is given to us by God. He expects us to understand injustice and to see something needs to stir up in us. Let us know that something needs to be done about it. But here's the bigger question, and I think is where... The, where the rubber hits hits the road. Okay, let's say we know this and we understand this. I guess the question that uh, I want to ask is, is it possible for us then to overcome or win this battle with anger when we don't cross the line of going, We, we for some reason, we pass righteous anger and justice. Let's say <laughs> right. let's the self, sex trafficking example. This okay. There's, there's some righteous anger about that and indignation yeah. that we should have and God has given that to us. But if you decide you're going to be a vigilante and start killing the guy, right? Doing that's it, right. You right. cross the line. Obviously, we're using a very extreme example. Yeah, sure. So, but we do that in our emotions. How do we 
deal with this in a righteous way? And how can we ever overcome this? And because God obviously wouldn't have not given us these emotions if he didn't think we had some type of self-control. But how do we <laughs> respond that we don't go across the line and it's okay sure. to walk in righteous anger? Yeah. So uh, there's a few things that that help, I think, shift the way we think. Mm. And then there's a couple of skills that we can practice that allow us to channel our anger in a way that is life-giving. So the things that change how we think. First off, you have to just, I think, come to terms with this first thing. Anger in itself is not wrong or bad. Mm. If you've grown up in an environment, a home or a church, where you were taught that anger is sinful, then you have a problem because every time you have anger, now you also have shame Right. at the same time. And shame is a very difficult emotion to untangle. It's, it's, it hides behind things. It's very hard to get at. It drives us to self-justify. And, and that's a huge problem. So if you can just accept God created us, God created the systems that make up our mind and our limbic system and all of the chemicals in us that, that help create our emotions. God made all of that. Our, we are made in God's image, which includes our emotions. Um, that's all in the book. So you can go through and read about that and study the scriptural basis of that. If you can just accept, look, your anger is not bad. It's not sinful. It's an emotion. Emotions have two purposes, to give you information and a movie to act. Right. That's not sinful. Now you can disconnect shame from it. Gotcha. Okay. The second thing, the second thing is that the goal of, of, of spiritual growth, and I've begun to use the phrase emotional discipleship to talk about how we grow in our emotions as a part of our life of faith. The goal of spiritual growth is not that we would stop feeling emotions. It is that we would be able to handle our emotions in mature ways and understand what they're telling us accurately. And so don't have in your mind this picture that the more spiritual you become, you know, you're going to become an elder in your church. You're going to become a leader, a small group. You're going to be the worship leader. You're going to have years and years of Bible study under your belt. And finally, one day you will no longer get angry. Mm hmm. Like don't have that picture in your mind because that is a, that is a lie. It's a it's a trap to trick you because what will happen is you'll get angry because it's a natural thing. And now you'll feel shame again because you have this story in your mind that I'm so spiritual. I should not be feeling this. Right. 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 And so, again, shame comes in. And when we have shame, we isolate, we go underground, we hide. And that's where that's where we really go into sin. That's where our hearts can be taken, taken advantage of. Right. And so if you understand those two things, that changes the way that we think right now, now then begin to understand how emotions function. Now for me, I, the way that I learn how to handle things is I dissect them. I take them apart to understand how the pieces work, you know? And so I want, I want to look at the parts and understand it. And then I can have some sense that maybe I'm not in control of it, but I can understand what's happening. And so for emotions, one of the things that I learned that really, uh, that really changed the way that I experienced my emotions is learning that when you have a feeling, you know, you feel like you're angry, you feel like you're joyful, whatever it is, that experience that you're having is actually a composite experience of four separate things that happen in order, but they happen so quickly that you feel that they happen simultaneously. Right. But they're actually four different experiences. And if you understand these four different experiences and can begin to watch for them, you can begin to head off some of those inappropriate expressions. Mm -hmm. So the four things are this. The first thing that happens is you have a change of body state. So I talked about how I feel anger in my gut and my shoulders. Right. Um, it may be different for you. 
every emotion impacts your body because every emotion releases hormones and chemicals and electrical signals into your body and your body uh, responds. And what we've just learned, and this just blew my mind when I learned it, but multiple studies have demonstrated this. The body state change happens before we're consciously aware of the emotion in our mind. Wow. Right? Our body, the way God's created us, our body is expressing the perception of what's happening before we're even aware that it's happening. And so that that shows why it's really important to get in touch with your body and understand what's going on in your body. Because God actually wired up your body to tell you truth. Mm. But most of us ignore that, right? So the very first thing is that something happens in your body, right? So with anger, um, you flush, you know, blood flows to your large muscles. So maybe you feel warm in certain parts of your body and cold in other parts of your body. Your heart pounds, your vision narrows. These are all physical changes that happen in you before your mind is even consciously aware that you're feeling angry. The second thing is there's a set of swirling automatic thought patterns that emerge in your mind. And these thought patterns develop over the course of your life, and they will be in alignment with whatever the kind of emotion is that you're feeling. So if you're feeling a happy emotion, there'll be happy thoughts. If you're feeling uh, an angry emotion, there'll be kind of angry, self-justifying, blaming thoughts. And those thoughts will just kind of sweep into your mind, and that's where your conscious mind begins to be aware, I'm upset. And the third thing is your mind gets tunnel vision. It homes in on something that it believes – is the object that caused this reaction in you right now you and i have both had hundreds of examples in our lives where the thing we've homed in on was not the real cause of our anger right right <laughs> right but our mind automatically does that right so i'm sitting in the living room i hear a loud sound i whip my head around and i see my son at the door and i automatically i know i know that he slammed the door yeah. and that is an issue for me mm. i cannot stand the door being slammed mm. and so I just the script begins to unroll and i'm like lucas I've, how many times right? right and he's like dad i i i just i I was just putting my backpack up. Well, what happened? Well, the cat down the hall knocked over the baby gate, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? But my mind was certain <laughs> that right. he slammed the door. So that's what happens, right? Your mind picks an object. And then as soon as it picks an object, your mind generates a story, a little proto story, a narrative, right? So that when that guy cuts you off on the highway, that guy's a jerk. He's going to get us all killed. Or that person at work that disregards your efforts. You're like, man, they're always stealing credit. They're always, you know, they, they, they want me to fail, right? You, your mind instantaneously generates a story that explains why you're feeling this way. Okay. So this is the sequence that happens in every emotion, And it happens almost instantaneously. And do you notice the point where we can go off the rail on that? Yeah. Well, yeah, I can see a lot of places where you can go off the rail. But um, but I think it's it's our failure to be intentional about examining what's going on in our inner body, in our in our minds. But I want to hear your take on it. What what do you. Well, that's exactly that's exactly right. Right. The very beginning of the process is this autonomous thing that happens to us. Right. Mm -hmm. But then there's a point where we begin to interpret. We begin to make up a story. Mm -hmm. And that's the point where if we're in a place of denial or if we're in a place of self-justification or if we're in a place where we have to always be seen as the the winner or always be seen as the competent person. Mm -hmm. That need within us, that brokenness or that sinful need is going to shift the way we interpret the the, the anger. Now, now Mark, let me ask you this because I don't even know how to phrase this. Because because when you're describing these four different things that are happening, like you said, they happen. You said they happen sequential, but it seems like it's happening at the same time. 
And we're talking about, I would assume that this stuff is happening within a few seconds. <laughs> yeah. All this oh, right. stuff is happening. Yep. And so I guess I'm trying to think, how do I ask this question? Is so basically what you're saying, if we're looking at a prescription, because men, we like, you know, say, okay, what do I need to do though, Mark? I, I yes. need to break this pattern. So if this thing is happening so quickly and wow, we, we feel the tenseness in our body or whatever the physical manifestation may be for a guy. And then all of a sudden, I call it when you said the automatic um, thought patterns, I call that your default programming. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it's like the default button. It's like when you're doing a printing job, you don't have to change the default values every time. Right. Automatically goes to something. And then you say we get tunnel vision, we start blaming people. Mm-hmm. For, and then we start um, putting this story, generating the story. So if I'm correct, and you correct me if I'm wrong, or at least point me in the right direction, and the guys who are listening. So if this stuff is happening so quickly and we can't even stop it, you're saying that if we generate a different story and capture it, kind of isolate that story and say, okay, that guy on that road is trying to kill us. Well, maybe what well, stop Joe, maybe Joe, you don't know where that guy was headed. You don't know if his wife is pregnant. You don't know if his, he has a child that's sick. In other words, are you saying change the story and that would help us? Yes. I think that's that. That's it. And like you said, this happens really fast. Right. And so at the beginning, we we can't control it. That's why we feel as men oftentimes like anger takes over and we're out of control. Mm-hmm. But but now that you know that this is how anger works, now that you know, you begin to have the tools to change it. So at the very beginning for me, when I began this process, I would get it wrong every time, right? Because the anger just swoops in and it's too fast and I don't I'm not I'm not able to grab onto it. Right. But then what I could do later, which I did for a couple of years, is I would go and I would sit down with my journal and I would write, okay, what happened? Here's what happened. How did I feel? Why did I feel this? How did I respond? Was the story that I came up with, was that a reasonable story? Did I have enough information to make that story? And it took me a while. Like when we begin new practices, it takes time. And so at the beginning, it would take a while. And I would get I would get frustrated because who has time to do this every single time you feel angry, right? Nobody does. Mm-hmm. But but by doing that, I began to build the skill of paying attention. And so now as when anger comes in, if I'm in a good place, right? And I mean by that, if I've had enough sleep and I have been eating quality food and you know I'm in the, the routines and the rituals that allow my life to have sanity, I'm much more able to grab on. Some days aren't like that, right? right. But what happens is you begin to build the skill of noticing these things and maybe depending on the situation and how triggering the relationship is, maybe you can intervene. So I start to feel that tenseness and I can go, oh, I'm getting angry. I need to, I need to be mindful of how I speak. Right now, you know, or or even like you said, I've done this enough now that I, I, I distrust the first story that comes to my mind. Right, right. Right now, I know that probably my first story is wrong. Mm-hmm. And so now that I've had enough practice at this, when that story comes up, I immediately go, yep, that's a story. And that might be what happened. But before I make a fool of myself, I probably ought to figure it out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And that's something that has just come over over time. And in certain relationships, like relationships that I have no emotional attachment to, I can actually do this in process while it's happening. The relationships that are the hardest for me are my wife and my children. Right, right. Right? Because when my kids do the thing that gets me angry, they are pushing deeply, deeply rooted buttons in my heart. And so I don't do it right with my wife and my kids a lot. But because I have these tools, I can go back and have that conversation with them. And I can say to Lucas, 
Lucas, I'm sorry that I yelled at you about slamming the door. I made a jump to conclusion in my mind that you had done something. And I did that before I understood what happened. Hmm. And that wasn't right. That wasn't fair of me to do that. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? Right. So that's a much different space to be in than just the normal dad space of, hey, what I say goes. If I told you to be quiet, you should just be quiet. And, and, and what well, dad, I want to don't even talk to me. Don't even explain. I don't want to hear your explanation. You need to do what I said. Right. That's something I'm used to. <laughs> but I'm learning that that's that that's not respectful. It's not life giving. I don't believe it follows after the example of Jesus. It doesn't nurture the relationship that I want with them. And oftentimes it's built on a false story. Right. And that false story is leading me down this path. So you begin once you understand these these elements of the system, you can kind of begin to notice them when they're in play. And while you may still blow up mm-hmm. until you've practiced this a lot, mm-hmm. you have the tools to go back and to make it right. Gotcha. Right. You can go in and say, uh, here's where I went wrong. You know, I really felt discomfort in my gut and I hate that feeling and I want to do whatever it takes to. To not feel that. And so I did what I did. Now, you know, Mark, you, know? you bring up something that I think, boy, and I'm hope I just got a revelation and I'm hoping that the men out there get the same revelation, too, because a lot of times we blow up and we like I'm always apologizing <laughs> to my children. To say, <laughs> I just did my, this past weekend. I told my daughter, baby, I'm so sorry. Uh, I say I blew that out of proportion. I didn't mean to do that. Yada, yada, yada. Her response to me is that I wasn't mad at you. I understand you having a moment or whatever. But mm-hmm. I want her to understand that. Um, I knew why I got angry and why I got upset. And what I, the revelation I just got from you is that a lot of times we blow it. We blow it a lot. And we, and we have men out there who actually, like I do, they apologize. Oh, I'm so sorry, Mark, that I did this or I said this to you. But what you just gave me was a great tool, a bigger tool that we can all use is that it's, it's different me just telling you I'm sorry than to say, let me tell you how I blew it. Mm-hmm. You know, and what right. I did, I think right. that shows more sincerity. It shows more remorse and it shows that it shows brokenness and humility that you actually gave it some thought. It wasn't that, okay, now she's mad at me. Let me just go ask for forgiveness. And then I repeat the same pattern, but it's different if I go back and say, I did this because I was assumed this and I was wrong. And I should right. have responded this way. Is that correct? Right. The, the, that's that's it, revelation that's exactly I just got right. from what you just said. Well, that that's exactly right. But let me take it to a deeper, scarier okay. place because okay. I think oh, this Lord. is where <laughs> this is where God uses even a broken response to anger mm-hmm. to shape us and grow us. Right? Okay. If I'm willing to follow this path of why did I why did this happen? Right? right. So similar experience. I have a I have an encounter with one of my kids. Right? And uh, they they're not doing the thing I want them to do, and I tell them they need to do it. And they start to explain why they're doing something different. And I don't have time for that. I'm like, nope, do the thing that I said. I'm your dad. Do what I said. And they they respond and uh, they don't do what I want. And I just come down I'm like, okay, no media and you're grounded and you're never going to see your friends and blah, 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 right? Right. So I do all of that. So later on, I process it and I go into, well, why, what, why did that happen? Well, they didn't obey me, right? They should obey me. I'm the father. Okay. Okay. Let's just, let's just accept that that's true, Mark. But why did you feel what you felt about that? Mm-hmm. Why were you angry about them not obeying you? Like they're kids. Kids don't always obey. Why do you, why were you angry? And I go deeper. And what I discovered as I go deeper is I have a need to be respected. Mm-hmm. And when I feel like I'm not being respected, I get angry and then I go deeper. I'm like, well, what, what, why do I get angry? Like the level, the, and here's a principle, the intensity of your emotional experience tells you something about the cause. Mm. So when I get really angry about something, that's a small deal that 
heightened anger is telling me something is being vi- something's being violated. That's what anger always means. But I felt really angry about something that was very small. My anger was disproportionate, right? And so my son disobeyed me. He didn't do his homework exactly when I said, and I got really angry about it. Why? And I dig into that. And what I learn is, as I go deeper, is that this need to be respected is not just an option for me. It's part of my core sense of value, right? I want people to see me as competent, that they, that I know what I'm talking about, that I am an authority figure. And my son is violating that. My son choosing to disobey me is violating that. And I am feeling attacked in my very value, wow. right? And then wow. God, and then God comes in and goes, see, Mark, look, we found an idol in your heart today. Isn't that wow. awesome? Look, wow. you found an idol. Look, there it is. Let's break that idol. Mm. Let's take that idol out of your heart and break it. You don't need to be respected in order to feel like you have value. And all of a sudden I'm in my room crying over my journal (laughs) because God revealed something that came by going through this process of saying, why did I feel what I felt with the intensity that I felt it? And it had nothing to do with my son disrespecting or, or disobeying me. It had everything to do with this need that I had that is an inappropriate need. If I'm growing in Christ, I should not find my value in being respected. Wow. Mark, I tell you, because basically I put down here in my notes that you say, look for the deeper need. And boy, if you go to God with humility and brokenness that he will reveal to you. And the last thing we want to see is that we have an idol in right. our lives that we worshiping over him and not going to him for our needs, but going to it. Wow, yeah. this is this is powerful stuff. And Mark, I told you even before I brought you on the air, that I said um we have a format to the show, but we um not we don't necessarily keep it all the time based on the Holy Spirit leading because I won't even get a chance to ask you about the man up questions. <laughs> I won't get a chance. I can't believe this that I'm having you on the show and then don't get to ask you the man up questions. But you've given us so much, and I but I figure I only have a few minutes left. Well, I say a few minutes, maybe a couple minutes. But I wanted to um I want to leave I guess our men with a, a, a on a high note because this is a very frustrating emotion. That we feel and we don't want to harm our families. No man is intentionally trying to harm his family and the people he loves. But you say that's usually the way it comes out with yeah. the people. And that's near the hardest people for us to love. So I want to use or go on and on a positive note. Since we know now we are going to get angry, you cannot not expect to get angry. It's going to happen. And we know that the process you describe for us. But if we are making progress, what should we be looking for to, to get encouragement, even as we mess up and then we fix it? And we mess, what should we be looking for as some positive signs that we're at least moving in the right direction and that we're not as bad as we used to be? Because obviously you've grown over the years with how you respond. But, you know, but we know you still get angry. Yeah. Right. How do you know that you've made progress? What should we be looking for to keep us encouraged in our walk with the Lord and depending on him through this process? I think that the sign of growth is this. Anger is tied deeply to love, mm-hmm. right? Because anger is the emotion we feel when we're violated, it emerges when when something we love is violated. In the example I gave with my son, what, what I loved that was being violated was me, right? right? I loved my own sense of respect and that was being violated. Well, as we grow in Christ, our hearts come to love more and more what God loves. Mm. And that means that the focus of our anger when we feel angry is going to shift away from ourselves and toward things that God loves. And so we're going to feel, we're going to begin to feel that anger, not an out of control anger that makes us, that, that leads us to do hurtful things, but we're going to feel that emotion rise up in us to move us to take action when we see 
things being violated that God loves. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe that's a family member. Maybe, maybe you know, God. I mean, really, this becomes the basis of of ministry in some ways, right? That somebody they look at the world and they're like, we are violating the world. We are not taking care of the earth in a way that's sustaining, that's comp- that's that's keeping the promise of what God gave us in the garden, where God asked us to be stewards. We're not doing it, and that emotion rises up in you, and you want to do something about it, and so you start a foundation and you begin to work to preserve, you know, beautiful places in nature, or maybe your heart, like we talked about with sex trafficking, maybe your heart is broken over that. Mm-hmm. And that feeling rises up in you and you say, I am going to be a part of stopping this. And you find a way to be involved. Or maybe it has to do with the the struggle that we're having in our country right now with reconciliation between races and, and your heart rises up. And you're like, it's not fair right. that somebody is treated this way because of the color of their skin. And I want to be a part of changing that for our culture. I want to be a part of making the church be the beginning of that. And I'm going to be involved. So the, the more your heart grows spiritually, the more you love what God loves. Mm-hmm. And so what will happen is the anger that's about you, the anger that's about your selfishness and your pride and your need to be seen as something, that anger is going to begin to fall away. Mm-hmm. You're going to have it less. Wow. But the anger that will come will be anger that moves you to act on behalf of the people that God loves in the world. That Matthew 25, you know, standing with the least of these, mm-hmm. that's going to happen and you're going to see that. And I think that, that, you know, for a lot of us, when we look at those things, we just, we're just not interested. Right. You know, we, we're not, we're not moved to care about those things. Well, this is why, right? Because right now you're mostly concerned about yourself. You're mostly concerned about what violates you and obstructs your will. But as you mature spiritually, you become concerned about what violates God's will, what obstructs God's will, what violates the people that God loves, and you're going to stand in the gap for those people. Mark, this is wonderful, man. What a blessing. What a blessing. I wrote down it because I'm glad that I asked this question last, (laughs) because what a great way for them to take away from this conversation is that you start loving what God loves. And you go from self-serving to self-sacrificing by taking yes. action on the things that God loves. Yes. And so it, it make, you made it just so simple. And it seems so simple. I'm like, wow, that's it? And if we can see ourselves making progress towards that, we don't have to beat ourselves up over the anger. Or like you said, suppress it and go into shame about it. But mm-hmm. we can actually right. manifest God's love through our responses. And the people around us will notice that change as well. At least I know my kids have noticed a difference. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. So, because I, you're right. I'm starting to love more of what God loves and starting to love what I want less. And so, yeah. Mark, thank you so much, man. And, you know, we've, even though we're going a little bit over time, you've been a great guest and I would love to have you back on because Oz, we just talked about one emotion today, which is, <laughs> but, man, you brought up shame and we, you know, mentioned a little bit about guilt. There's so many different things. But if they wanted to find out more about you and your wonderful book, your wonderful book that I think that they all need to get. Um, how can we find out more about you and, and contact you or get a hold of the wisdom of your heart? What can we do? Sure thing. Uh, everything that I do, I, I do lots of stuff online. I'm all over the place, but everything that I do can be found from my website, which is www.markallenshelsky.com, M-A-R-C-A-L-A-N-S-C-H-E-L-S-K-E.com. And from there, you can you know you can find me on Twitter. You can find me on Facebook. I'm very active there. I'm developing an online course site called the Apprenticeship Lab, where there's going to be ways to go deeper into all of this. There's all kinds of resources for the book. There's a whole page that's like 35 book recommendations and videos and all kinds of things. But you don't need to remember that. All you need to remember is markallenshelsky.com and you'll find links to all that stuff there. 
you know, we'll make sure we put that in the show notes as well. And personally, on a selfish point of view now, after you told us not to be selfish, <laughs> I want to I want to find out more about your course, too, because I believe that a lot of men can benefit from it. I mean, even just from this conversation today, I've grown immensely from it and learning things I haven't that, that I didn't know. And I can't wait to finish your book. So we'll make sure we put that in the show notes as well. So, okay. again, Mark, thank you so much for joining us on the show, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Joe. This has been great. And for you guys out there listening, guys, thank you so much. We really appreciate you listening to our show because, guys, without you, there will be no real men connect. So, guys, we ask you that you just continue to listen. And please take a minute and go over to iTunes and rate the program for us because it's the best way for us to get this show in the hands, eyes and ears and listeners out there who are paying attention to our show. Guys, you made us number one for a reason. Without you, we would not have a show. So until next time, I'm Joe Martin, your man builder with RealMenConnect.com, reminding you that we are males by birth, but we are men by choice. So each and every day, choose to be the man God called and created you to be because a male is a terrible, terrible thing to waste. So until next time, stay strong, stay blessed. And as always, stay in God's grip. Thank you for listening to the Real Men Connect podcast with Dr. Joe Martin. Real Men Connect isn't just a podcast. It's a mission, ministry, and movement to help good men become the great men God called and created us to be. And the best is yet to come. So if you enjoyed this episode, go ahead and leave us a review in iTunes. It really helps us to build the podcast and to reach, teach, and impact more men, all for the glory of God. And make sure you check out realmenconnect.com to get our free tools and resources to help you go from good man to great man God's way. Again, that's realmenconnect.com. Thank you for listening. We'll see you in the next episode. Real Men Connect is a listener-supported podcast, and we're now the number one radio podcast on iTunes for Christian men. If this podcast has blessed you in any way and you'd like to help us continue to bless and transform the lives of even more husbands, fathers, sons, and leaders, please prayerfully consider supporting this ministry. Just go to realmenconnect.com and click on the donate button. And may God bless your faithful giving.